My glasses are fogged up. Oh, what a, what a wonderful morning. And uh, I want to invite you, if you will, go ahead and take your Bibles out and start turning with me to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter 8. And you're probably wondering, well, now, what are we doing in Romans? Well, we're, on Wednesday night, we have taken the theme of um, the book of Job. And I've been, we are reading together in our reading plan. We're going through the book of Job. And on Wednesday nights, I'm discussing some of the, we're going chapter by chapter, and we're going through discussing the themes of Job. And today, what I thought about doing, what I was praying about doing is doing a sermon series based off suffering. Suffering is a way of life. Uh, many of us have gone through some very tough times. Some of us are in the middle of these tough times. Um, and it's one of those things that when you go through it, you're going to ask some questions. So what we're going to do today is we're going to deal with three basic questions that you may have about suffering. We're going to look at that. And then as we, as we go to the text, we, what we want to do is reassure ourselves on what God says. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, if your Bibles are open, and let's go to the Lord and let's ask Him to guide us. In, in our study of his word today, Father, you are so good to us, Lord, and we thank you that no matter where we are, you are here with us. Many of our church members are having to quarantine or having to stay home and they're recovering from this uh, virus that is swept across the world. And Lord, a lot of times we feel alone, we feel abandoned. And Lord, it's easy for us to kind of give up and give in to what the enemy is telling us. But today, God, with our Bibles open, Lord, and our hearts open, we ask you to take the truths of your scripture and plant them deep within our heart. And Lord, allow us to lean on what your word says, not what the wisdom of man may be. But Lord, let us lean and let us Plant our lives into the foundation of your word. And Lord, let us go through the storm. With our eyes fixed upon you and our heart desiring to see you in the midst of it. And Lord, we know you will answer. We know it in your perfect time you will answer. So Lord, help us. Help us to hear today. Help us to understand and prepare Lord, for those days ahead. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but as reading the book of Job, one, the number one question that kind of comes to my mind is, why do people suffer? Why? Have you ever, have you asked that question? You're going through the book of Job, and, and all of a sudden, we, we saw in the story of Job that God's there, and all of a sudden, Satan comes up, and God looks at Satan and says, hey, where have you been? And he said, hey, I've been kind of walking around, checking things out. And the Lord brought the attention upon Job, right? He brought the attention on Job. And he said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan knew right away, I can't touch him. I can't get to him because you put a hedge around him. And, and the Lord said, that, well, Satan responds, you take that hedge down, he'll curse you. And the Lord allows him to do that. And we talked about that on Wednesday night. We talked about that. Now, before we get any deeper into that, let me go back and review some things that we talked about Wednesday night. Some principles that we have to understand. Number one, Satan cannot do anything without God's permission. 
Understand that. Satan had to ask for permission. Number two, Satan can only go as far as the Lord would let him go. Right? Because the Lord drew some boundaries. The Lord said, okay, you can do this, but you can't, you can't touch him. And then later on, he says, okay, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. So the Lord put the boundaries upon, the sat- upon uh, Satan. And one thing that we'll learn as going through the book of Job is God's plan is perfect. Even though Job cannot understand it at the moment, it does not mean that God's plan is not perfect. So those are some of the things that we need to understand going in forward. But I do believe as living as humans in the midst of struggling, we tend to ask the question. I tend to ask the question, why do people suffer? So let's answer that. Why is there suffering in the world? Couldn't God have done something totally different? Couldn't he have done this? Why then do we suffer? Well, let's first off, let's identify things that we've learned already. And reading through the biblical text, we realize that when God created the heavens and the earth, he placed upon the earth, he placed the Garden of Eden. He invited man, Adam and Eve, to come into fellowship with him in the Garden of Eden. And he put limitations, he put restrictions upon what he could do in the garden. He says, you can come and stay here, but you can eat all of this, but you cannot touch this one tree. And what was the thing that they did? It was only, you know, like in chapter 3 is where mankind begins to fall. So that's the first thing that we need to understand is rebellion against God leads to evil and death. That's a fundamental truth that no matter where you go in the Bible, you're going to find this to be true. When we rebel against God, we are going against his plan. We are going against his purpose and Therefore, we are going in a direction that will not lead to life. And you might be wondering, well, why, why wouldn't God, why didn't God just take the tree out of the garden? How many of y'all have ever thought that before? Why didn't God just take the tree out of the garden? Why did he have to place it there? Well, see, that's the thing. When you and I ask that question, here's where we got to be careful. Because you and I are guilty of this just like Adam and Eve. There's no need of us pointing the finger like they did, right? As soon as they got caught, what's the first thing Adam did? Well, that woman you gave me did it. And the woman said, well, it's that snake that did it. And so everybody wants to point the finger to someone else. Let's understand this. When God created us, he gave us a free will. He gave us a choice. And God allows us to make choices based off of that freedom to make choices. And you might say, well, I understand that, Brother Jim. I understand free will, and I love free will. But why did he, why did he have to leave the tree in the garden? Well, that's, that's a very good question. But let's, let's think about the big picture. When we, when we ask questions like that, we're saying, God, limit Adam and Eve. On their choices. But don't limit me on mine. You ever thought about why do why does God allow evil to occur? We are actually when we when we say, Well, God, why didn't why didn't you just intervene? Why didn't you stop them? Why didn't you take that person out? Why didn't you strike them with a lightning bolt? 
What we're in a sense saying is, God, my choices are better than theirs. Let me tell you, that, that is a very slippery slope. Because I promise you this, if our life was revealed upon the screen, all the deep, dark secrets that we hide into our heart, you'll find out that we're not much different than the people that we're trying to accuse. The people that we're trying to limit. And it's not right for us to stand before God and say, God, you don't know what you're doing. Take that person's choice away, but leave me with mine. We can't do that. We can't. So God in his sovereign will has allowed you and I to make choices. And those choices have con um, consequences. It's just like taking a rock and throwing it, throwing it out into the water. When the rock hits the water, there's always a big splash. And then the rock disappears. But it's not over. There's ripples that occur. And it's ongoing, isn't it? It goes out and then another one and then another one and then another one. Every time you and I sin, there is a ripple effect that occurs. There are consequences to sin. There's consequences. So let's understand. Just... Just by the basis of, of understanding what suffering is, it comes because we have rebelled against God. That is, that is, as I was boiling it down, that's all, it, get down to the root of it, that's where it is. And Satan wants to use our suffering to tempt us to rebel against God. That was the whole purpose of the book of Job. Satan wanted to use these this suffering, this loss, this, this mourning that Job had going on in his heart. And also of the personal afflictions that he was going through. His own wife looked at him in his suffering. And laying there, can you imagine sores from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head? So much so that you would have to take uh, pottery, broken pottery, kind of like a scraper. And just scrape the pus off of your skin. And that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing during the day. His wife looked at him and said, why don't you curse God and die? Now that looks, that sounds pretty harsh, don't it? But that was a heart of compassion because she saw her husband suffering because he was holding on to hope. And she was like, why don't you just give up and give in and fall over? Why don't you just do that? Why don't you just, just stop the inevitable from happening and just surrender and say, God, I am done. I quit. I, I can't do this anymore. And, and it's over. And not just that, but his friends came. They came and they sat for seven days. You know you're in some serious conditions when your friends show up and for seven days they're looking at you going, oh man, <laughs> I'm glad y'all don't do that to me. <laughs> I know I messed up, but I'm glad nobody's ever come to my house and sat down and went, mm, mm, mm. Mm. I mean, they couldn't even say anything for seven days. That's how bad it was. And they weeped for their friends. Imagine their heart as they're traveling, because in that day and age, the, what the world around them would have said, oh, Job, Job's got a bullseye on his back. You don't want to go to Job. 
You might be collateral damage. But they went anyway and they sat. And then they start talking to Job and they begin to question Job's faith and they begin to question, you know, his, his righteousness, his, his attempt to keep sin out of his life. They, they questioned everything that he did. And Satan was using these conversations. He was using all of that to cause Job to go, man, I, I, I can't take anymore. Listen, folks, if you're sitting here today and this is where you are, one more wave, one more hit, one more pushback, one more disappointment, and you're ready to call it quits. I want to tell you there is hope. The book of Job is in the Bible for a reason. And you have to go through a lot of Job. We're going to find out. This month is going to be very, you're going to go through a lot of Job. And you're probably going to wonder, oh, why do we have to read Job again? Hey, listen, we feel that way when we go through suffering, don't we? Why do I have to keep going through this? Why does this? Why can't this chapter end? Why do I have to read everything on these pages? Why do I have to try to think through these kind of things? That's the way suffering is. That's the way where it is. God uses that. So now let's go to Romans chapter eight. So what I want to do is I want to give you some hope. I want, to, I want to give you a word of encouragement so that tomorrow when you dive back into Job, you'll have some good stuff to kind of motivate you and help you go through. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to begin with verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And Paul wrote, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. 
For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among brethren, among many brethren, excuse me. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. All right, listening to that text gives us a little bit of a context or a little bit of a biblical understanding. Because if we go back to the first question, why do people suffer? And we begin to think about suffering comes because of the rebellion, the sinfulness of mankind leads us into uh, evil and death. And then Satan wants to use the, the trying of our souls to make us turn against God, even lead us into deeper rebellion. These kind of uh, spiritual truths, these kind of biblical truths will make us ask a question. And this is why I have it listed there. Why does God allow suffering? If God is such a good God, why does he allow suffering to take place? Why? Why can't he just protect a few? Why can't he just do what he does? Now, listen, God can do those things, but he is not morally obligated to do so. Just because he does not move does not mean that he does not care. Remember, God's plan is much bigger than you and I understand. I want to give you some things to think about. I want to give you some things that we saw in the text. That we can learn from to kind of answer the question because our heart will begin to wander away. When we go through suffering, our heart will want to turn away from God. One thing that we can realize, and anybody who's gone through a period of testing or suffering... You will know that God uses the suffering as a purification process. I can tell you that in my life. That as uh, I have gone through very difficult situations in my life, it seems like the heat is turned up. Now, a lot of y'all know that I was in the steel industry. My dad was a steel worker. My uncles were steel workers. And when I say steel, guys, I'm not saying S-T-I-L-L, despite what you might think. Well, okay, some days I was a steel worker, but I'm talking about S-T-E-E-L, right? Uh, So in this process of making steel, heat was necessary. The more heat that you put on the steel, the purer it became. It's just like the purification of gold or lead, or any of these other metals, when you put it under heat, you will see the impurities begin to float to the top. I remember at the steel mill, we, you know, we had to have these pots of, of steel, about 300 tons of steel, and these great big, what we call ladles, bigger than a stage, tall, like 15, 17 feet tall. I mean, they were huge. And they would take these big ladles and they would tilt them just a little bit and they would take this arm and just skim that impurity off. Why? Because they were making a steel that had to meet a quality standard. God will use the fire in our life. He will use the testing, the suffering to purify us. He will cause these impurities To begin to come to the top. And that's where God's just going to take them out. He's going to take them off. I remember some of the hardest times that I've gone through in my life. 
Looking back now, I realize that there were some things in my life that the Lord purged from me. And I became so dependent upon Him and His Word that these other thoughts, these other beliefs, these other things in my life no longer mattered to me. That the suffering kind of burnt, took it to the point and God took it away. In the purification, there's some things you might want to make a note on. In the purification, we need to understand this. God is in control of this situation. No matter what you're going through, Job in his situation, God was in control. And God is stronger than our struggles. He's stronger than our struggles. It might not feel like it, but listen folks, don't always make decisions based off your feelings. Your feelings will mislead you. Go to facts. I'm thinking of the Ben Shapiro statement. Facts have no feelings. If it's true, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. And that's something you and I need to come to understand as well. Going through the purification process, are you willing to lay your life open Lay your life bare before the Lord and let Him pull those impurities out of your life. Are you willing to do that? Don't let a moment of suffering go without some kind of benefit. Let the Lord use those moments in your life to purify you, to, to cleanse you, to, to work with you. Now, Here's one thing that we see in the text. And, and you saw this with the struggling, you know, the purification and the, and the whole creation was uh, groaning for that day of redemption. Another point of this, why does God allow suffering is God is able to take evil and turn it into good. He's the only God who can do that. Did you notice the song that we were singing this morning? He took, takes mourning and turns it into dancing. He takes, he gives beauty for ashes. He takes shame that we have and transforms it into glory. He takes the graves and makes them gardens. He takes the bones and turns them into armies. How many of us truly believe that? That our God, no matter what kind of situation we're going through, no matter how bad it may seem, that God can take our current situation and make a good out of it. Thinking back over the past couple of years at what we've gone through, I would never want anybody to go what we went go through what we went through. But look at what we have. And I don't believe God's done yet. I believe he's just now rolling his sleeves up. <laughs> and he's getting ready to do amazing work here with us. And, and all of the things that we went through, the disappointment, the heartbreak, all those things, God is going to take that and make it glorious. I believe he's the only one who can do that. And God comforts us. Do you notice that in the text, Paul is telling us that the Holy Spirit is groaning. When we are going through 
things in our life. And, and God is using the time in our life to grow us. The Holy Spirit is not quiet. The Holy Spirit is groaning on the inside. He is groaning with great anguish. He wants us to draw near to God. The scriptures tell us that in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, that the Lord God holds us so close into his arms. Isn't that wonderful to know? How many of us have ever thought, man, my prayers aren't going past the ceiling. Listen to what I'm saying today. If you're thinking this today, if you're at home and you know what you're thinking, you know what, Brother Jim, every time I pray, it feels like my prayers just bounce off the roof. I'm going to tell you good because... Your prayers don't have to go through the roof. He's there in the room. He's holding you in His arms. The Holy Spirit is groaning. He is, he is speaking through you. And He comforts us with words that we can't even understand. Remember my illustration so many times? I, I can't help it, but every time I see a little baby, especially some of my grandbabies, right? And how you talk to them and how they respond when they hear certain phrases. Right now, my grandson, he will do this with his arms. And we'll do, where's Noah? And he'll go. <laughs> and we'll go, here, here, there he is. And he'll do it again. You know, he doesn't really understand a lot of what we're saying. He don't understand the game that we're kind of playing with him. He doesn't fully understand a game of hide and seek. And you got to count and all this other stuff. He doesn't understand all of that. But what he does understand is looking straight into the face of his granddaddy. And he has got the smile and the comfort of knowing that his grandfather is not going to drop him. Not going to let him go. I might, but I'm not God, right? And, and that's the thing about where God holds us. We can't fully understand everything he's saying to us. We never will fully understand everything that he says to us because we are immature we are just like babes in his hands and he is speaking truth over us he is speaking love over us he is speaking identity into us he is speaking these things into us and that's where the holy spirit begins to work in the midst of our suffering and then that way i believe that is the only way we are able to stand and raise our hands in the midst of a struggle you ever had anybody come up to you and say, how are you keeping it all together in the midst of this? Answer them this way, I'm not, but I've got a God who is keeping it all together. And I'm doing my best to follow him. Amen. All right, let's go just a little bit further into Romans now. Go just a little bit further. We're going to pick up with verse 31. This is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. So I might get, might get a little bit excited, right? What then shall we say to these things? What things? Suffering. That is the thing. That is what Paul is dealing with. What shall we say to these things? Here it is. If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also free, freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who makes also intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present or things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord let's go back and let's lead us to this okay so uh, why do people suffer? We, re, we talked about that because of sin and rebellion against God. Why does God allow the suffering? And we saw that God could use suffering and make it good. And maybe you're asking us, asking this question right now. Well, where is God in my suffering? Where is he? If you're telling me if the first two is, or, or, okay, if, you, if what you're telling me is true, then, then, then I understand that suffering in this world comes due to sin. And I know that God is using this to, to help me, to grow me, to challenge me. Then, Brother Jim, I, I still struggle. Where is God? I still feel alone. I still feel like I, I can't make it. Don't we all feel that way? Going through a time of suffering. What Paul wanted to understand is say it right off the bat. God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? See, in the biblical mindset, especially in the time of Job, during the time when Job was written, they believed, and, the, and there's biblical basis to this, because also in the book of Zechariah and also in the book of Revelation, it talks about Satan standing before God. Now, I, I talked about this on Wednesday night. Satan stands before God and he accuses us. Did y'all know that? We don't think about that, do we? See, think about this for just a second. Jesus said, when one sinner repents, the angels rejoice in heaven. So it means that the angels are watching and waiting on a response from us. It's possible, and is, there's biblical evidence to support this, that if the angels rejoice when we repent... That the demons rejoice when we sin. Imagine this. Before the throne of God. The, the demons and, and Satan himself will come before God. And he'll say. Look at that Jim Collins down there. You put your blood on him. And look at what he's doing. Look at what he said. 
Look at how he responded to that situation you put him in. Boy, he's got a lot of faith in you, don't he, oh God? And he wants to stand there and accuse us before God. And let me say this to y'all and maybe some youth, y'all watching, where you think you're in private and what you think nobody can see, there is somebody who can see it. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you tell me that you have placed your faith and trust in Him, then I want you to know that you carry His name before the throne of God. In the lifestyle that you are living, the demons are rejoicing. But here's the word that you need to hear. God is for you. I honestly believe that's why the text says that Jesus is on the right hand interceding for on our behalf. I can just see it right now. Old Satan standing up going, look at old Jim Collins. Look at him down there. You put all that faith and trust in him and look at what he's doing. Look at the way he's responding. Look at the way he's acting. Look at the things that he does. Look, April 15th is coming up. You know what he's going to try to do. Right? Oh no, I just put that on Facebook. Sorry. <laughs> I was just a joke. <laughs> that was just, I'm going to be audited now, right? <laughs> I got an audit coming. You know, we're, we, we're all faced with those kind of things. And I can just see Satan standing before the Lord and saying, look at that, Jim Collins. Why would you do that? And I can see Jesus stand up and say, but he's mine. That's my blood. He belongs to me. I paid for that. I paid for that he is mine. And I do not have to stand there alone. If he is for me, who can be against me? Listen to this. Who shall bring a charge against the elect? That's what Paul's saying. Who's going to actually stand before God and accuse us? Who's going to stand before God and say, Oh, but, you know, if, if, if they, they could have done better, God. They could have done better. God loves you, and He is fighting for you. God loves us, and God is all-powerful. There is nothing. Did you catch that in verse 35? Who shall separate us from the love of, God, uh, love of Christ? Shall tribulation... Tribulation is one of those times where you're heavily pressed. You're pushed in from every, any, every side. Do any of y'all feel that way today? Tribulation is when you're feeling pressure from all, aside, all sides. Distressed where uh, it, it's a narrow. It, you're being having to squeeze through there. There's nowhere else to run. You feel like you're being pushed through. Persecution. Any of y'all in here feel like you're being chased, hunted down? Famine? The lack of the harvest? How many of us have really tried hard to provide for our families and try to set up a nest egg and try to do some things to try, and all of a sudden the harvest doesn't come? We've worked all and we put our seeds in the ground and the harvest did not come. And now, we're standing there with nothing. How are we going to face tomorrow? 
That's what famine means. Nakedness means you're unprepared. How many of us have gone through a battle unprepared? Not being clothed properly, not having the proper equipment. How many of us have faced those in our life? I've faced a lot of those. Not being prepared. Pearl wicked or peril, wickedness, disaster, sword, the most violent death. Can any of these cause us to be pulled away from God? Nope. Nope. Because the God who loves us, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. So that you and I can go and be fully persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers or things present. Can I tell you, that's a pretty good list of things. No matter what you think was happening to you in the midst of your struggles, let you be persuaded that none of that stuff, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. nothing you're going to face in this world that will pull you out of his hand now here's the question are you in his hand do you trust him have you given your life to christ or have you done a religious ceremony because it's, it's, here's the thing. We can stand before people and we tell them, hey, yeah, this is what I believe. But it comes down to what does our heart say? How does our heart respond? And that's the thing. I, I, I just want to continue to stress upon you. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot. God is the only one who can see you through this. And he has provided a way that you, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of shame, in the midst of humiliation, whatever it may be going through, disappointment, sickness, whatever you're going through, you have a Savior that has gone through that for you. And he has given his life so that you do not have to go at this alone. You don't. So you might be asking, well, what do I need to do then? I want that kind of life. Well, here's what you need to do. If you feel the leading in your heart that now's the time, you need to get it right with God. I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. Come, kneel. If you can't kneel, come and sit right here on the front. And, and pour your heart out to God. Call to Him. Confess your sins to Him. And He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Receive the payment that Jesus Christ has paid for you. And you will receive that atonement. And you will receive a new name. You will receive a new identity. Because God Almighty is bringing you into His family. And it's only done through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. It's, it's the only way it's done. So I want to invite you to come. I want you to invite you to come so that you can go through the 